We've all heard the saying, learn to love the process. But why learn to love something? Why not create a process that is easy to love? Welcome to Peace with the Process, where I bring you professionals who specialize in the processes we incorporate to sustain consistent, healthy growth. I believe in learning from others' mistakes and successes. So I also bring on entrepreneurs who have been in the trenches and tell us how they got there and how they got out. I hope you find something in today's episode that you can apply to your own life and that you find your peace with the process along the way. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Peace with the Process. I'm excited to have you guys back on yet again for another episode, and I think you're really going to enjoy today's guest. It is uh, Blake Jamison, and the title of today's podcast is titled Wear the Crown. Obviously, there's, I mean, you've seen the graphic for the episode, so you know kind of where I've headed, uh, where I came up with that, but there's a little bit more that goes into it because of my conversation with Blake, it it really goes into, and you'll have to kind of pull this out of the conversation because um, it's something that I uh, didn't necessarily notice until um, after listening back to our conversation, which is just the way that he takes uh, ownership of everything that he does and the way that he, I mean, for lack of a better word, just kind of where's the crown you know what I mean when I say that like he's taken it upon himself to say hey I'm worth this much point blank uh, this is how I do business point blank this is what I'm into point blank you know there's no real uh, there's no real gray area with Blake and that's what I like about it because he he knows what he wants and he's going for it or he knows what he agrees with and you know he uh, he stands up for that and what he doesn't agree with, you know, he'll he makes sure to uh, to state, you know, that, that that's not quite true for him. So definitely a lot to pull from today's episode. Uh, you know, listen intently, even if you're not uh, an artist or, or really into the the art realm. There's still a lot we can learn from Blake's story, and I'm excited to share it with you guys. Uh, before we get started, of course, I want to thank everybody who has left a rating and review for the show. It is extremely appreciated. If you have not done so already, I just ask that you take a second to go ahead and drop us one now. Uh, again, very much appreciated. It goes a long way to getting this episode and this whole podcast out to others so that they can take advantage of the conversations that we're having on the show. Uh, as, along with that, I want you guys to also know I have dropped a second article. So I'm actually uh, I'm, I'm pretty proud of this article. It is, You Are the Sum of the 50 People You Follow. It's a twist on the old saying, You Are the Sum of the 5 People You Spend the Most Time With. So it's based on the concept that who you hang out with and the things that you see and hear from them on a uh, on a long-term basis you will start to adapt yourself so be careful about the people who you hang out with well in today's world how often are we really hanging out with people and i don't just mean with covid i'm talking about with social media uh, availability you know it's right there in your fingertips so 
I, I, like I, I'll ask people this, you know, and I because I've tried to focus on it myself. You know, let me make sure that the five people I'm hanging out with or the five people that I keep closest are, you know, people that I can look up to, learn from, that are pushing me to be better. Uh, and I've made adjustments in my life to make sure that that is the case. And I have to be honest. I don't have five, <laughs> you know, I have other people, like I probably have at least 10 people that I'm pulling some information from, but the thing is, is, you know, I'm not spending that much time with them. I have to go out of my way to, to plan things with those individuals, um, or I have to, you know, we both have to go out of our way to make sure that our schedules are lined up, and that's just what happens uh, when we get busy, when we're doing a lot of things, when there's a lot of gears moving in the machine, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's just some people are going to have more availability than others. And from my experience, and when I ask other people, it's typically two to three people at the max that you're hanging out with. So you're getting your influence from like the, the two to three people that you hang out with the most. But where are you getting the rest of your influence from? Primarily, it's social media, right? So this stems from a conversation we had on our last podcast episode with Charlie uh, the Spaniard Brenneman who brings up the concept of using social media to, uh, to, to kind of cut out a path of where you want to go in life and who you want to be. And you can do that strategically. So without going into all the details, I have uploaded a video to YouTube on it. You can, uh, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's peace with the process. I keep everything peace with the process guys, just so that you know, um, any, any platform you guys want to, uh, want to check out and see what we have going on. That's your handle on every on everything. Uh, so you can check that out. You can subscribe to the channel, and then you can check out the video as well. And I also have the article posted on my website. I will throw it up on all of my social media uh, platforms. Actually, it's already out there by the time you guys are listening to this episode. Uh, today I'm recording on, uh, on Thursday. So today's the day that I'm actually going to be putting it out there uh, for everybody to see. So it, it will have been out there for a couple days now. So if you haven't seen it already by following us on some of our socials, uh, for one, get out there and uh, and follow us. And for two, just go ahead and hop over there and uh, check it out right now or check it out right after this podcast episode. So uh, thank you guys for, uh, for following me, for uh, leaving reviews. And if you enjoyed today's episode or you want to kind of continue a discussion, there's two ways to go about it. One way is head over to Facebook and go to the Peace with the Process page. I posted a teaser for today's video. Go in the comments and start a conversation. Let's get talking about what were some key takeaways that you got from this episode. Uh, I'm interested to know. I know that uh, other followers uh, that are following along with this are interested to know as well. Uh, I want to thank those of you who have started conversations on some of our previous episodes. That's amazing. Keep it up. Keep it going. Uh, and then the second way to do it is to go into the Peace with the Process Facebook group. Now, this is your community of people who are going to be having conversations like this, but not just on uh, today's podcast episode. They're going to be having conversations on all different types of things. We drop in content and articles from some of our uh, some of our podcast guests. We actually have some of our guests involved in that community as well. So anytime we get discussions going, we're getting some of that professional insight from some of our uh, previous guests on the show. So I was really excited to have a few of them uh, sign up and uh, become members of the, the Facebook group. So that's what I want when I build that community. I want it to be people who are dedicated to the growth 
and that they're just, you know, they're continuing to provide value to everybody and, uh, and then strike up conversation. So thank you for enduring through my spiel uh, of different ways that you can, uh, you can get plugged in and different ways to, uh, to soak up as much information as possible. That is the goal of Peace With The Process. I believe that you should have all the tools that you need to continue and sustain growth without sacrificing your mental or physical uh, health, your relationships, your, uh, or yourself in the process, and that you should have all those tools all in one place. That is what the website is working to do. I'm working to have all the tools you need right on the website. But, of course, I offer it on all the other different uh, social platforms as well because, you know, you guys are on there. You're on there often. You know, you're running around and you're moving. So I want to have those tools available to you uh, on the Facebook group as well. Of course, most of the links are going to link you back to the website. So something piques your interest, you hit the link, you head over to the website, and while you're there, you've got a ton more tools at your disposal. So check it all out, guys. I appreciate it again. And uh, let's get on today's episode. All right, Blake. I'm excited to have you on the show today, man. How are you? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. We were just talking about the uh, the differences of uh, of the rural life versus the uh, the city life. Uh, you said you're, what was it? Was it from Bronx to Brooklyn or, or, or vice uh, versa? Queens, Queens to Brooklyn. Queens to Brooklyn. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool, man. Yeah. I, I've always wanted to visit, um, you know, I think as a, as a country boy, you always have this idea of what life is like in the polar opposite. Um, but I've have yet to take that leap and, uh, and go out there and check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, honestly, I, uh, I grew up on a two acre ranch in Northern California and it was very rural and, and awesome. Uh, and that's where my first art studio was like in an old barn. Uh, nice. Falls down from a horse spook. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun to see both sides. I think, uh, New York is a cool city. Um, I always wanted to live here at some point in my life and now I'm doing it. And so it's an exciting, uh, exciting adventure. Although, you know, couldn't have had the foresight to see like COVID and everything happening, which obviously has impacted the city in a lot of different ways than it has, uh, more rural communities, but, I mean, like I mentioned before, like it doesn't really change my lifestyle because I'm sitting in my studio working uh, often in isolation or just with like a few uh, close friends or employees. So it hasn't changed that much as far as like how I approach my daily uh, routines, but I know that it has impacted a lot of people. And I think um, it's been hard on the city. Yeah, I imagine, man. I imagine the the population itself uh, i'm sure it's extremely hard where i you know where i'm at rural texas it's you, you still got people who uh who go out and about regardless of whatever restrictions that they put on i can only imagine with all the personalities of a, of a high po- highly populated city uh, what that could be like and what the effects could be uh, yeah. but you talk about your first studio being a barn i'm i'm excited to hear about your backstory. Um, I think I read you started, uh, you started doing art when you were four years old. Yeah. I mean, I started like drawing, I think like, like a lot of kids, you know, I just, uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed whether it was like drawing or like, I mean, even like sewing, like making Halloween costumes with my grandma was like one of the most fun memories of my childhood. So I think like I've always been drawn to creating, but at some point between four years old and 
maybe 18 when we go off to college, I'd kind of convinced myself that art wasn't a viable career path and just thought it was um, a safer route to like study something that would lead to like, quote unquote, a legit career. And so I studied economics at Davis, at UC Davis in California, and then went into marketing after that and spent a lot of time in marketing, which gave me a lot of creative control to like do semi-creative things. Uh, but ultimately I just decided that it wasn't, you know, just working for someone else and building someone else's dream instead of my own. And so I decided I needed to make a change. Mm. Yeah. I like that. So what, what kind of art were you drawn to initially? So have you kind of changed your style over the years or have you pretty much stuck with kind of a, a consistent style? Um, I, it's always fun to experiment and like push outside of my own like comfort zone. But I think like the type of art that I make now, uh, if you're going to put a label on it would be like pop art, definitely like graffiti inspired. And so a lot of my inspirations, uh, especially in kind of that like gap of time where I wasn't like, I didn't go to college to study art and I was studying economics, but I was still like interested in the arts. I think like street art has always appealed to me. So like, looking at what someone like Banksy is doing or Shepard Ferry, um, I think is really inspiring. And so I think there are a lot of kind of their uh, parts of their work uh, that inspire the type of work that I do now. Um, but fortunately, you know, I've done this for full time, full time for almost six years now. And I feel like I've hit kind of a good rhythm where I have kind of my own style that is, it is adapted from like a handful of my inspirations and then, and then a bunch of trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And, uh, trial and error. Uh, that's, that, that's a, that's a process that, uh, that can be a tough one, especially starting out, uh, especially when it comes to something I imagine as free form as art, you know, there's no, nobody give you, I well, I, I personally have no idea, but I would say, I don't think my thoughts are nobody gives you a direction with art. There's so many different ways you can take that when that's your passion. Um, so when you did, when you did decide to go off on your own and, <laughs> and do your own thing, you know, what did that, what did that process look like? Like getting started, you made the decision, Hey, I'm about to go out and do my own thing. What was your next step? Yeah. Well, I honestly like, I wouldn't change anything if I could. I think I had a very indirect path to becoming a full-time artist. And I don't know anyone else that had a, I mean, everyone's journey is different, but my journey was like exceptionally different. So I studied, you know, I, I worked in marketing after studying economics. And in that time, uh, I was able to be a little bit creative in, I was creating, you know, graphics or videos for brands to help like promote their product on social media. But what I learned was that like marketing is it's a science as much as it's an art. And so like, there's, there's just like, you can just test things and see like, does this work better than this? So I learned a lot about like kind of data-driven marketing and ultimately learned that like I could apply that and market any product. So like I worked with clients that sold random widgets that maybe I loved or maybe I didn't, but like I could sell it because I knew I just knew how kind of marketing worked. And so like then when I pivoted at the age of 30, I was like, I want to do something else. I want to paint full time. Um, part of that, like confidence to be able to like make that choice was already knowing like, okay, 
over the last nearly decade, like I've marketed all these different products successfully and sold these products, some of which I don't think were that good products. And I'm I like now, like I'm not super proud of that, but like that skill set, it was very valuable to have. And so when I was shifting over to art, rather than like, you know, you hear about the starving artist and kind of that like struggle, which, uh, you know, I've battled in certain ways, but not like, I think like the more traditional, like thing that people expect of like, oh, as soon as you're a full-time artist, you're broke, you're eating top ramen every day and you're, uh, you know, sleeping on friends' couches. I just had like this very unique, uh, I guess, skill set of like knowing how to market products online and like social media when I came out of college was a new thing. So like selling, you know, widgets on Facebook was something very well in my wheelhouse. So once I pivoted to like do something that I actually was really passionate about creating, selling it was never really that challenging. Um, just because I was able to kind of take those life lessons along the way and, and apply it to my art business. Right, right. Okay. So then you sit down. Okay, so I guess that's, that's kind of rewind. So you're, you're doing a lot of what your what your first foot in the door as far as you know your own your own journey into doing your own thing which is it's, it's a lot online so there's a lot of just uh you know creating you know widgets like you said so a lot of content you can create digitally and then sell um but i see today you know you're in an art studio and you're moving to another studio um you know when did you get your first studio where you had your own space to start creating well, that was the barn that I told you about. So when I was, I was 30 years old, I was working a very kind of corporate marketing job in Phoenix, Arizona. I was paid very well, worked for a huge like household brand um, and just kind of living like the, what I think a lot of people would like aspire to have of like, like the comfortable corporate life. But like, to me, it just was not, not fun to like, every Friday be excited for the weekend and then every Monday be bummed out that like it's Monday again. And so because I had done well in marketing um, with and with like having like a good job, I had bought a house in Arizona. And when I decided to make the switch and leave that job and pivot to something that I was passionate about, which was art, I was able to sell that house and did moderately well. And at the same time, like as a 30 year old adult male moved back home with my parents in Northern California to this like two acre family property. Like I said, it's like a ranch and there's like several barn structures, one of which they allowed me to convert to a, an art studio. And so I also had like a lot of things that I try not to take for granted, like a lot of opportunities that, that some people don't have for like, I had a nice nest egg from selling my house where like, I didn't feel like immediately pressured to sell my art and make money. And which was important because I didn't feel like at that point, my art was good enough to even exchange for money. And then layered on top of that, having like a supportive family structure where like my parents have always been supportive of me being creative and, and pursuing the arts, giving me a place not only to stay, but then also to like set up shop and have my own art studio was an awesome experience. And so that entire first year, my focus was not on like building an art business. It was playing catch up and like teaching myself how to paint um, to a point where like I would be comfortable selling it commercially because I definitely wasn't there. Like when I first started painting, I was not comfortable giving something that I made to someone else for money because I just didn't feel like it wasn't good enough yet. 
Mm, no, that's good. You know, understanding what you want, your because when I feel like when you put something out like that, you're you're not just putting out a product, especially when it's when it's art. You're putting out uh, something that represents who you are and 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 what you view as being, uh, you know, worthy. So, is there is there anything about that art that you were creating uh, early on? Has your perspective changed at all? Have you looked back and thought? well, maybe it actually wasn't that bad or have you kept solid in your perspective on that and been like, no, it wasn't what it wasn't up to par and I still needed to get better. Uh, I mean, I think it's both. I have a lot of that original art still and I enjoy being able to like have a visual representation of my evolution as an artist. And so I can look at a painting and this is, I mean, that was six years ago. I could look at a painting and see stuff, but I can even look at stuff from two months ago and be like, okay, now I know how I could do that different uh, or better. And that's all subjective anyways, but like, that's pretty exciting to be like six years deep into a career and then still see like month over month uh, growth, um, I think is really cool. You know, when I look back at all of my original art that I wasn't comfortable selling yet, I mean, I still feel like I don't regret that decision. I think I took the time that I needed to feel comfortable um, with the product that I was like selling but it is all subjective. It doesn't matter. I mean, there were people that probably would buy those paintings and I just didn't want to have that out there with my name on it, you know, in the public eye, I still have it in my own, you know, personal collection. Right. Right. No, I like that. It, having something to look back on. I've had a few guests come on who talked about how they believe in keeping up all their old work. So whether that's um, you know, videos that they did or um, articles that they wrote, whatever it was, you know, like whenever they were brand new on it, like they made the decision, hey, I'm just going to step a foot in there and and, uh, and put it out. Now, whether or not you choose to put it out and make it public or hold on to it and keep it private, I think it serves the same purpose, um, which is giving yourself that, I don't know, it's that assurance that a distance has been traveled since that day. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's awesome. Um, so I noticed looking, you know, looking into the kind of stuff that you do, you've started to get into some, uh, some sports realms. Is that where you kind of started off or how did you transition into doing a lot of these, uh, these sports paintings? They're amazing. I love them. Thank you. So I think, um, the whole, like having a focus as an artist is something that I knew was important from the beginning because of my time in marketing. So like we go back to a company that sells widgets. You can't just say like, I make a widget for everyone. Uh, it's just not going to have the appeal. It's like, we make this product for these people. It solves this problem. And so like knowing that kind of marketing, like messaging and having like the niche was always something I wanted to carry over into my art business. And so once I got to a point after the first year, I was comfortable starting to sell art. My first niche actually was art for tech companies and like startups. And mainly that was because that was the network that I was already immersed in. And like, those were the people that I knew. And so I wanted to find uh, a group of people that could appreciate the art that also would just be like focused so that when somebody like that is like a startup owner or founder or whatever is looking for like cool motivational office art, they like find me because they're like, this guy makes exactly what I want. And so I worked in that space for, I'd say like a year or two 
between one and two years after, like as soon as I started selling my art, that was my focus. And I marketed myself as such. My LinkedIn was, I make art for offices. Uh, now it's, I make art for, like I paint portraits for professional athletes. Um, the transition to athletes happened a little bit spont spontaneously and just like right place, right time. I was delivering art to a client in Las Vegas, ended up meeting this guy who was a ex NFL player. And then and now he like manages other NFL players and he really appreciated my work. He suggested that I do a couple of his clients for free. Uh, sorry, I'll turn that down. Um, <laughs> no, you're good. And, um, thought that it could get, you know, me in the door. And it, I just didn't have that much going on at the time. And I was like, all right, well, I will, I'm down to try and see if, if the clients like the work and like, it just worked perfectly, man. I did client, I did paintings for a few of his clients that really liked the work. They promoted it on social media. And then like, it was like within weeks of that, I like switched kind of my angle and niche. Um, because when it comes to art, like, and especially like high end, like my original art's not cheap. And so finding clients can be challenging. And if you look at professional athletes, they not only have the disposable income, they also have like amazing photographs online that like can lead to cool paintings of like them doing amazing things. And then layered on top of it, like the trifecta is like they're, they're insanely competitive. And so when one guy gets a painting, the next guy, the teammate wants two paintings or he wants a bigger painting. Right. Okay. So this is a question I wanted to ask and uh, feel free to shut me down if you don't want to talk about it, but I'd love to hear what was the cost of the first painting that you sold uh, versus how they're priced now. I've, I've always wondered how you, how you price, how you price art, um, you know, but I can look at yours and I can say, okay, I see why, why it's priced like that. I don't know, but I've been to, I've been to, I've been to several art shows and I've kind of, looked at things and seen how that how that takes place um but i'm sure we have listeners on the show who like art but may have never been to a show or wonder how it is that an art piece gets to be twenty thousand dollars i think that's a very common question for the art industry yeah i mean art pricing is such like a such a funny thing it's so subjective um and two artists could sell the exact same painting for two wildly different prices and a lot of that is based on like the marketing and branding behind the artist because you're buying the artist's name just as much as you're buying that piece. So when I first sold paintings, uh, like I said, there was about a year, there was about a year when I started painting and I was still promoting all my work on social media, showing pictures of it. And sometimes people would, uh, you know, message and say, hey, how much is this? Like, I'd like to buy this. And I'd say, oh, it's not for sale. But I kept this list of people that were interested. And so the first time that I ever sold art, I offered 10 paintings for sale. I sold them only on Facebook at the time. And it was 10 paintings, they were 500 bucks each. And they sold out within a little over 24 hours. And so to do like $5,000 of sales in about a day gave me, definitely gave me some confidence that like I, there was something there. Yeah. Um, it's, I think that there's like a big issue with artists too. And this probably ties into like the starving artist thing is like artists don't value their own work enough. Um, I believe for like originals, mm. like, I think that almost all artists could raise their prices uh, and it wouldn't hurt their overall sales because even if they sold, you know, if they double their prices and then they sell a tiny bit less number of paintings, they're still making more money um, 
overall. So that's just kind of, that was like an arbitrary number I picked for myself to say, oh, I'm going to sell my works for 500 bucks and um, they sold out very fast. And so I've pretty methodically um, come up with a system where like the price of my work is just based on the size of the paintings. Just um, a small painting is cheaper than a big painting. And um, for the most part, that correlates to how much time it takes me to paint something but I'm not always concerned about that anyways. It's just like, I don't know, bigger paintings seem to like command more value. And so I have now like, so I came up with a price structure, like this size paintings, this much dollars, this size is this much. And every single year, usually on the first, so like we'll be coming up in three weeks, um, I'll be raising my prices, not a ton. Um, usually it's like around 10% um, per year. And so where I'm at now with my prices uh, are is definitely quite a bit higher than where I was six years ago. Um, but I'm, it's good. I think like if somebody wants a small painting, I mean, at this point, my small originals are 1500 bucks, like on the low end, if you want an original painting. Um, so that's coming up from like 500 bucks for something small when I started, but I think like to some people that might sound like a lot of money, I think like that's a very like friendly price point for an original work of of mine that like takes me a bunch of time, you know? I can't tell if you're frozen or just contemplating my prices. <laughs> okay, so there is the a little bit of a delay. I don't know if the video is the problem, but I can stop mine too if that's easier. I don't know if this is audio only or video too. It's mostly audio. Um, try stopping the video for a little bit. If we end up getting uh, getting a better connection, we might throw them up. Okay, great. Okay, cool. We seem to be fixing a little bit of that. So yeah, yeah, we can just we can just cut the video for now. Um, cool. Okay, so where 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 were we? The, okay, so yeah, your the the pricing and uh, talking about the uh, how artists are undervaluing their work. So I think that's very common in a lot of people who get started into any kind of skill-based uh, and I say skill-based and I know that's kind of broad but I'm thinking in terms of like somebody who decides they want to be a knife maker or someone who wants to start doing woodworking and making furniture or um, you know things like that and you get into this skill plus quality plus um, you know people's opinions of of what they're looking for and what they like and I do think it's very easy for people to get started and think okay hey I just got into this game so I obviously can't charge you know what all these other guys is what all these other guys are charging which partially may be true but not as not as downplayed as what I hear about a lot of people doing they're like okay I'll charge a hundred bucks when somebody else who just started yesterday is going to come out and charge 500 bucks, you know, like you said, for your, for your first paintings. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's a challenge, man. And, and it's tough because there's always somebody that's going to undercut you with prices. And it's interesting where like art is so subjective that there's no like objective value of some painting that like, it's just all whatever people will pay for it. And so if someone else is willing to like do similar work for a lower price, then it really comes down to like a battle of like 
doing the marketing and like building yourself a brand um, as an artist. And so that again, is like where my experience in marketing fortunately is come in very handy where like I honestly like I'm more grateful that I like had the educational experience that I did rather than going to a traditional art school and learning maybe technically how to paint quote unquote better. Um, if I had not learned the marketing skills that I got, it wouldn't have served me, I don't think as well. Yeah. And that's something I definitely want to spend a little bit of time talking about as well is, you know, the process of marketing yourself as an individual. So ultimately, and you may have to help me break this down a little bit, but, you know, I think it's, you're, you're kind of depicting a, a lifestyle or a, a particular viewpoint that connects with, um, you know, a, a big mass of people. And, and that may just happen naturally because, Hey, that's, that's your, vo- your viewpoint or that is your lifestyle. Um, it doesn't have to be created a lot of the times. And sometimes it's just based on, you know, capturing that and, and putting it out there for people to see, but uh, are there any staples uh, of yours that you've kind of, uh, uh, I'll say, capitalized on as, as part of your, uh, your artist image? I noticed, so I've noticed the, the crown seems to be kind of a symbol with you. I, I see the, the photo of you with the crown uh, and the mask yeah. on all gold. And then you got the tattoo on your hand, too. Yeah, so the the tattoo on my hand is um, the Basquiat crown. So Jean-Michel Basquiat was a very famous artist, um, worked in New York. And uh, this was like when I moved to New York, I got that tattoo because he's, I just think, uh, yeah, one of the other like very inspirational figures to me. Um, Yeah, so like I've kind of adopted the crown. I think that uh, it's, it's used a lot in art, to be honest. Like a lot of people use it to brand themselves um or make their brands or whatever but um i don't know it's just been like a fun thing and like again like with with kind of my experience in marketing of just knowing that i need this kind of like consistent brand image and and some kind of like symbols or things that are going to make people think about me and and i think that the crown is interesting because since it is used so widely I can almost like borrow some of that like brand credibility because there might be really dope art pieces that someone puts a little crown in and someone that has seen my hand tattoo might like, it just might make them think of me. Not necessarily they're like, oh, Blake must have done that. Just keeping me top of mind. And so I think that it has been like a strategic kind of approach to use the crown in my own branding. Uh, It means a lot to me for different reasons, but I also know that like it means different things to different people. And if I can capitalize on even just a tiny bit of that attention, um, that's an edge that I wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think, I think a good, it, like you said, you know, consistency in your image, cause you know, I'm scrolling through and I see, I see several pictures of uh, you know, you, you kind of keep the same style, you know, and we can just talk about like style of dress. So a lot of pictures sure. you'll see yourself, you know, you're rocking a beanie, you've got the hoodie on, you kind of have, um, you know, a little bit of a, of a street look because a lot of your art is that pop art. It's kind of got that graffiti style to it. Um, and then when you see some of your pictures with you doing a lot of the, uh, uh, the sports, uh, and I've noticed a lot of it is, uh, is in the baseball arena. Uh, you'll, you'll rock a lot of that, um, uh, baseball paraphernalia, you know, you'll have the Jersey on, you'll have the hat to match uh, and yep. things like that. Are those some of those conscious decisions that you, that you make when you're putting things out there? Um, yes and no. I think like one of the benefits of being an artist and working for myself 
is that like there's no dress code to show up to the office and so like i just wear what's comfortable and usually that's like t-shirts and hoodies and beanies and and whatnot i also always wear hats because i've been balding since i was like <laughs> 20 and so like i've just worn hats for a long time and like now i'm at a point where I get my picture taken when I'm painting something like I see that as a marketing opportunity, like wear a hat with my logo on it. Um, and so I have those hats in like every single possible color. Um, I think uh, so in that sense, it's conscious in the baseball world, the baseball uh, scene is honestly like, it's about a year old for me. It's relatively new. And that came through a licensing deal with tops, which one of the, which is one of the biggest baseball card manufacturers. And I'm, creating art that's turned into baseball cards. And so in getting into that space and kind of expanding my like athlete portrait business and into specifically like focusing on baseball this year, I've gotten a lot of fans that like I've been able to connect with and, and we exchange stories because I was a baseball fan growing up. I kind of fell out of it for a long time and, and was very honest about like whether it was following teams or collecting cards, like this is where I was at as a kid. Then I kind of went on to pursue other things and like now I'm back and doing these this art for tops and so these fans are just incredibly generous where they know like my favorite team's the Oakland A's my favorite player is Mark McGuire and people will just like send me a Mark McGuire jersey uh just because they appreciate uh the art or you know or whatever which is amazing and so then like I'm excited because I have a jersey of my favorite player on my favorite team and like I'll just wear it during the day because that's at the top of my like t-shirt drawer. Uh, so in that, so it's like, it's a mix, man. It's, it's conscious in that, like, I know that like I consistently kind of have this same style every day that I wear, whether it's hats or like shirts or whatever, but um, it's also just cause fans are awesome. <laughs> no, it sounds like it, man. That, that is amazing. Uh, your fans obviously love your work. And I, I mean, honestly, man, there's nothing that's not to love. I was looking through it. I'm not a big sports guy. I really don't, I really don't care for it, but I looked through all of your other work and, uh, you know, you've got one in there, uh, that's got Muhammad Ali on it. That one's really nice. I like that one. And then you do some abstract stuff still. So you don't limit yourself because there's definitely pieces on your site that, uh, that I hop on. And I think, you know, okay. Yeah. He's not all about sports and he's got something on there for me too. And there's several that I'd love to take home. Um, yeah. So yeah, you help with that. Yeah. I think uh, it's fun, man. I think like this, the sports angle is great from a business perspective and marketing and branding and like develops my niche and that's what pays the rent, but it's also fun. And I find that like, whenever I'm the busiest, whether it's a company like tops with these deadlines of portraits that I need to paint, anytime that I have like people telling me what I have to paint is usually when I'll kind of veer off in a different direction and do like a crazy abstract. Um, that always like, I always end up really liking that work, which is like not forced at all. And so it's like me, uh, rebelling, I guess, from like the job of the art business. Um, and so it's fun to like mix it up and keep it interesting that way. Yeah, I like that. I, I, I remember earlier on in our conversation, you uh, you talked about your lifestyle hadn't changed much since COVID hit. You know, you, you kind of always in the studio work and I always envision when I think of an artist, I kind of think of like a mad scientist. It's someone who's just, you know, so wrapped up in this creative world that they'd really rather not do uh, much else other than uh, other than the art that they've 
been creating. How has yeah. that lifestyle been for you? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's funny. I was just having this conversation with uh, my roommate. So my roommate is also an artist. Uh, he's also my accountant and a, and a good friend. And so we have this trifecta going and we've moved from the last space we had, it was strictly an art studio. And then we had a separate apartment and now we've moved it all under one roof. So we have, it's like a two bedroom place with an office and then a big art studio room. And so like, we've never had a situation where the kitchen uh, or a full bathroom or whatever is steps away from the room where we create and paint. And because of that, we've both kind of found ourselves forgetting basic things like showering. We're like in a normal day, pre this studio, we'd shower at the apartment, head into the art studio, work for the day, come home, you know, maybe shower again, maybe not. But like now we're just, we just wake up and then the studio is like steps away and it's so easy to just like go in there and get to work and forget like those basic uh, hygienic needs, I guess. And so we're trying to uh, keep each other accountable and make sure that we shower and smell nice still. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I think that's what so many people want out of a career. Like you said, you know, there's some times where what we love to do has to have a job aspect of it. But I think there's so many people who haven't even reached that point yet where they're, where they're feeling like they need to rebel from the job side of it. They actually feel more like they wish they could get paid to do what they love so much to do. Um, and I think it's, it's awesome. You know, that's, that's one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to have you on the show was to, to talk on that. And, um, you know, being able to rebel and still have something that, uh, that people are going to want to buy. So, okay. I'll, I'll ask this cause it's kind of coming up as I'm saying some of that. Um, I've had somebody who once told me, you know, you've got your niche and then you may have other, another passion area, but it's not as big of a moneymaker. Do you view, um, your abstract or, or basically anything other than your sports side of your work um, as a, as a possible distraction? Is it something you have to be careful about getting wrapped up in so that you don't get too far away from your moneymaker? Or uh, are you able to kind of bounce between both worlds happily? I bounce back and forth, man. I, I think that it's a necessary part of the process. And so while I do create some abstract works that might not sell as quickly as a portrait of Michael Jordan, I think that like in making that and expressing myself creatively or just like experimenting and like trying new things is important for me, like as an artist within my practice. And so I don't need every part of every, I don't need everything that I paint to be a moneymaker. Um, and part of that is that like, I'm not in the art business to make money. I want to make money from whatever I do just so that I can like live the lifestyle that I would like to live, but it's not the end all be all. Like it doesn't dictate how happy I am. Um, like how much money I'm making. And so, yeah, I just think it's like, it's just, it keeps it fun, man. Otherwise, if I, if I just stick to like the money makers, then I'm gonna, I feel like I would end up in the same situation I did when I was, you know, 29 going on 30 with a well-paying job where I was doing things every single day and just starting to like, resent like the Monday through Friday workload. And I don't want to get to that point as an artist. And so being able to branch off and try different styles, whether or not they sell is important for my sanity as much as anything else. <laughs> That's good, man. I like that. I like that answer a lot. Um, 
And I think it's that mindset that allows you to continue doing uh, what you enjoy doing and getting paid well enough to support your lifestyle. Um, people who focus too much on that money, like you said, you might end up at a place where you're back to uh, grinding rather than, uh, you know, enjoying the whole process. Right. Uh, so, you know, I'm looking here, uh, you've got quite a few collectors and quite a few of them, some, some pretty big names of your work that you've had the opportunity to meet. Tell us what that's been like. Uh, cause like you said, you kind of got this, it, let me make sure I'm right. You, you got started in this about six years ago, right? Yep. Okay, so over six years, had you have any thought you'd be meeting people like this, like Howie Mandel, Jocko Willink, uh, Lewis Howes? Like, those are some pretty big-name guys. For sure. Um, not really. I mean, and it's funny because all of those opportunities just uh, – I think – so we'll rewind a tiny bit back to, like, with the pricing thing. And and this kind of – this will have a tie-in to, like, meeting some of these big names is – I do think that artists struggle with like putting the right price tag on their art and charging enough to like command respect. And that's, that's half of it. The other half is, and this is kind of how I run my business is like, I only paint things two ways. Number one, it is full price and it's not cheap. Number two, it's completely free. There's no discounting work where I sell somebody a painting that should be whatever, $10,000. And I say, oh, I'll give it to you for a thousand bucks because I just don't think that that puts off the right type of um, picture of like how I want to run my business and be perceived as an artist. And so when you look at a lot of the bigger names that I've done, those have been, those were not necessarily all paid works. Uh, oftentimes there are opportunities that I get where I can get in front of the person and showcase the talent that I'm working on, like sharing with the world and that being like a painting of them and I'm totally willing to do it for free uh, just for the exposure and like getting to meet like really cool, inspiring people. So like mm -hmm. Howie's a great example. I did, I, I met somebody that ran, like kind of managed Howie's YouTube channel and he saw the type of work I was doing. He showed it to Howie and Howie liked it. And he said, hey, like we can get you in the studio and you can paint a piece live with Howie and we can shoot a video and we can share it on Howie's social channels and you can have it for yours. But it wasn't like, I wasn't being paid thousands of dollars to paint that painting. I was just getting the opportunity to do it. And I think like, I've always seen those, those type of opportunities as like the best marketing that I can possibly get. Um, and so it's cool. I mean, it's, it's awesome to meet those guys like Lewis Howes. He's a good friend of mine now and, and an awesome person. Um, Howie was like as nice as you can possibly imagine. Uh, a lot of the athletes that I meet, it's really cool. Like, I love meeting these guys that get paid millions of dollars to like catch a football. And I mean, it's cliche, but like, they're like regular dudes, like everyone else. And like, I become like fans of those players as people more than like the teams that they're on. And so that also is interesting working in the sports space where like a player that I have a great relationship with will get traded to a new team. I don't have any like bad blood. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not a Broncos fan anymore. I'm like, uh, I'm now a Panthers fan because at the end of the day, like I'm a fan of CJ Anderson, not of the Denver Broncos. And so like, it's just, uh, it's interesting. And like, it's, it's fun. Like all of these players too, all of the different celebrities and, and, you know, a lot of them are paid, but 
like I said, like some of those biggest ones aren't like they're all, they all have different levels of like how hands-on they want to be, whether it's being involved in the process of creation or like chit-chatting after the part piece is delivered, you know, sometimes it's transactional and I get a piece to someone and they say, thank you. Uh, you know, they pay for it. Or if it was a promotional thing, they post about it and then like, that's it. And I never talk to them again. And then there's some people that I, you know, text with on a semi-regular basis. That, no, I, I think, I think that's awesome. And the, you, you really do touch on something that I actually heard. Um, I think it was yesterday. I think I was listening to another podcast yesterday where someone was on there talking about one of the best ways to, uh, to start networking or to, you know, find open markets to market yourself is to create something that you think they will love, uh, share it with them, you know, not really, not really any strings attached, uh, share it with them out of, sheer hey i think you would really enjoy this i hope you like it tell me what you think and then you know if they're if they're if they're a good guy you know good person they'll likely you know reciprocate in some form or fashion right yeah yeah i mean and a lot of like the art especially within like the art space and making paintings is navigating that and like knowing because there's some personality types that like don't want to put a big picture of themselves in their home Uh, and i get that and I didn't always get that at first. I just thought everyone's going to want this painting, but um, now I'm getting a lot better at kind of sussing out just through people, like how they engage the media or social media or like put themselves out there. Like I can usually tell. You, you, can, you can tell when somebody's a little self-centered enough to have a picture of them on the wall. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would <laughs> say that it's self-centered. It's just that like, you know, there's, there's a certain personality type of people that, that appreciate that. And there's other people that that makes them uncomfortable and, and that's okay. And those type of people still could potentially, um, you know, help grow my business, even though most of my business is portraits, I could still gift someone like a cool abstract, um, you know, or, or cool pop art picture of their favorite celebrity or, you know, icon or something. Right. Right. So absolutely. Just, uh, you know, it's always, uh, it's always a learning process, I think. Um, and that's part of the fun of, finding uh finding that balance yeah and what and what you do isn't uh it's not so much so like um, you know i'm looking at some of these uh some of this art that you you've been doing for some of these people and yeah i can definitely tell how somebody accepting this and and you know having the the pride of what this work looks like to put it up on their wall it doesn't stem from uh, from self-centeredness or vanity or anything like that. Like these arts are, there are, it's not like taking a, a, a giant, you know, uh, glamour shot and blowing it up to a, you know, 18 by uh, 18 by 48, you know, size picture right. and putting it up there. There's, right. there's so much more that goes with it. So I can definitely see why, uh, you know, why a lot of these people have, uh, uh, have accepted your gifts, you know, invited you on uh, to do even more than that. And I think that just, it just speaks a lot to uh, uh, your genuineness as an artist, uh, your willingness to produce something for someone um, without the expectancy of something in return. I think that's really good. And uh, that really speaks to you. Appreciate that. Yeah, man, absolutely. So I know we're winding down on time a little bit here. Um Tell us just a little bit about how your experience has been with the, uh, the sports cards side of things. Um, I've had a few people tell me about this world. 
world of uh, baseball cards, football cards, um, you know, different things like that. And it's blowing up. That's got to be something that you got into uh, at exactly the right time. Uh, or is this, or am I just late to the game and this has been going on for a long time? No, it's uh, it's a really good time to be in the, the kind of sports card hobby. I grew up collecting baseball cards as a kid and then basketball cards and other, you know, Pokemon cards and, and Beanie Babies and all, all those kind of collectible things <laughs> through, through our, um, you know, eras. But, um, you know, what's interesting is that there's a lot in common with someone who collects baseball cards and someone who is an art collector. And I think that a lot of that st- like boils down to there's like a physical thing, which is the card or the piece of art that, that people get and they can attach a price tag to it. But the price that or the value, I guess, that they assign to that card isn't always based on like how much that card sells for normally on eBay or how much that artist normally sells for in a gallery. It's more like tied to the story behind that item and why that's special to that customer. And so these collectors, whether it's of cards or art, get more attached to the stories that kind of they tell themselves around this tangible piece of something. And because of whatever that story is, that then dictates how much money they're willing to pay for it. And so I've kind of under, I understood that in the art world. And that's why like the branding and having the niche and the name recognition and the crown, like all that plays in because this all ties into the story of my art. Well, now that I'm in the sports card world, it plays exactly the same where like I could, I'm working on a card right now of Bob Gibson who just passed away. And I know, I just know that that story and that card is going to be important because of the story and where we're at, like right now in this space and time. And so it's really fun to kind of mix those two worlds of the sports card world and the art world because they are so similar that I can like navigate it. And it really helps that since I grew up collecting cards and like actually was in that world before, I kind of already understood that the lingo and like the, that community. And I've just really like this project uh, 2020 with tops has gotten me back into sports cards, which I have, I'm having a blast, like outside of just creating the cards is fun, but like I'm back into collecting cards myself. Like I mentioned earlier, my favorite player is Mark McGuire. I have a huge Mark McGuire collection that I continue to grow every single day. And like, it's just so much fun to like share that joy alongside like all the other people that, that collect baseball cards. Yeah. And you actually, you talk about, you know, connecting two worlds being the art world and the, and the card collecting world. Um, but I think you're, you're also mixing in a third world in there, which is the storytelling world, just like you said, because, you know, you do have to have some level of, I don't know if it's insight or if it's just a standard level of, uh, you know, intellect or whatever it may be, but to understand what makes a good story, you know, what is going to be impactful to someone who, uh, who's, who's purchasing these kinds of things, you know, because uh, I'm sure the art, a lot of art has its own story, especially originals. Um, and then like you already kind of explained the cards and how those stories go hand in hand. So it's, it's all three different stories and I've never thought about it that way. So I'm, I'm glad we got on that topic. I'm definitely going to be looking more into, um, you know, the story behind the art, uh, when I'm out, when I'm out browsing for my next, uh, piece for the house. I like that. Totally. Highly recommend it. (laughs) 
That's awesome, man. Well, uh, yeah, dude, I've, uh, I've completely enjoyed our conversation. Um, I think, I think what you do and how you do it is, uh, it's very genuine. There's so much uh, passion that's derived uh, from what you do and just so much joy about it. Like you said, there's, there's no, there's no concentration on the dollars or the outcomes. You're just producing, you know, what you love to produce um, and, and just staying original with it. Um, so I love it, man. I love it. I think our listeners have a lot to, uh, to learn from our conversation today. Uh, so if they're, if they connected with you, if they, uh, you know, are interested in what you have going on and keeping up with you, where can they uh, stay in contact with you at? Where can they watch what you have going on? Sure, man. So few places. Uh, I use Twitter a lot. Twitter is probably the best place um, if someone wants to engage in dialogue. Like I'll answer any single, any message, any tweet. Uh, I always respond to everyone. So my Twitter handle is just at Blake Jameson. And then uh, my website is Blake.art, which has all of my sports art as well as other things that I create. And then the other thing, if people want to see kind of more video st- content of the process, I do live streams on YouTube every Monday, Wednesday, Friday night at 10.23 p.m. Eastern, and that's YouTube slash Blake Jamison as well. Oh, that's nice. I think I'll have to throw one of those up on my Facebook page whenever we get ready to launch this episode. I think that'll be pretty sweet for someone to see what you're doing in action and then get to see a a conversation with you afterwards. That'd be pretty neat. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it's it's super fun. uh... Very cool. Very cool, man. Well, uh, man, again, it's been an honor from, uh, uh, from one Blake to another Blake. I'm happy we got to sit down and, and have a conversation, man. It's been awesome to have you on the show. For sure, man. Thank you for having me. Pretty cool dude. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, some real gold nuggets of wisdom that were just dropped in that conversation. Uh, of course, I'm a little biased. I love art. Uh, and I really like his art. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to go over to his website already, go over there and check it out. Um, if you want all the links to his uh, his socials so that you can follow him, uh, I will have them uh, available to you on uh, on the uh, on the website. And if you want to get them before anybody else does, you want to get it at the immediate moment that this episode airs, or if you haven't already subscribed by now, then you'll have to wait until next week's episode. Uh, but head on over to peacewiththeprocess.com, scroll, uh, you can actually just go right there to assets, and then right below assets, you've got uh, your resources. So click on that, and that'll open up an opportunity for you to subscribe and get those, uh, get the uh, insider access resource emails emailed directly to you the moment that this episode airs. So that you have it immediately. You can get all the resources uh, before anybody else. Um, so with that, I'll also drop uh, a link to his uh, his YouTube channel so that you can check out those live uh, in action videos that he does of of him actually putting the art together from start to finish. I think that's really cool, and that'll be a, that'll be something fun to watch. I'll also throw that up in our uh, Facebook group and on our page as well. So follow us if you're interested in checking that out as well so guys i think one of your best resources from our guests today from blake is going to be really understanding the value in knowing what you're worth you know knowing your value because uh, you can tell there's a lot of confidence uh, in, in blake's 
you know, and, and what he charges in what he has uh, set, you know, whether that's internally or externally, what his value is. So keep that in mind as you go forward in whatever it is that you're doing, you know, emit some of that self-confidence, uh, know your worth and, you know, make sure you stand firm with it. Like he said, you know, it's either original and it's expensive uh, or it's free. So, you know, set some of those firm foundational concepts for what you believe and how you operate uh, in your own life. This doesn't just apply to business, guys. There's so many other ways that, that some of the concepts that we've spoken about in today's episode can be applied. So take that. Uh, and and utilize it take notes you know whatever 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 is necessary for you guys to get some uh, some usable tools from today's episode if you're not sure uh, what your value is or the different things that you value I've talked about it before we have a uh, we have an article that I've written about do you know what you value and you can go through there and you can check that out and you can get started on your values uh, once you've had a look at that and you don't have to have a look at that before uh, this next step that I'm about to tell you out tell you about. But it's a good first step to take because it'll get the wheels turning of you know what this journey is going to look like for you. But take a look at that article. Um, you know, read the story about the uh, about the average Joe, and then get try to get clear on your values. If you need some assistance with that, reach out to me. Um, if you feel pretty confident in tackling that yourself writing down those values, go for it, and then bring that to our first conversation. Uh, through the end of this month, through the end of January, I'm going to do a, uh, a free one-hour phone call with anybody who wants to take advantage of it. We can go over your values, or if you're already solid in what you value, we can move on to the next step, which is taking control of your time. You know, I want you to leave our conversation feeling like you're on the right path to take control of your time, uh, have a little bit more clarity about what are some things that are that are valuable to you so that you can better navigate the different options that are presented to us on a regular basis and that you're moving in the direction of your dreams uh, more quickly than you were before. That's the whole goal. I want to equip you. Uh, and if you want to uh, to take up that one-on-one opportunity, head over to peacewiththeprocess.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and use the contact us form, and just write in the uh, the message uh, in there. Say, hey, I'm interested in uh, talking with you one-on-one, and we will get something set up. So thank you guys again for listening in on another episode of Peace With The Process. I'll see you next time.